Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Uh, it's awesome to be with you here today. I just want to reiterate something before we get into the sermon. There is a loaf and ladle, uh, which is basically just a lunch. Uh, it's just a way we encourage people to bring things. And there were signups for that, but I know that the missions committee, if you didn't sign up for that, would be happy to have you come. Uh, Greg pointed that out last week, who heads up our missions committee. So if you didn't sign up and uh, you, would, you would like to hear about some cool ministry work that's happening down south of Boston that Byfield gets the, the privilege of being able to support, I would just encourage you to come and hear uh, what is going on through that ministry and enjoy some food in the process. Uh, many of you are aware that I have a mini Australian shepherd named Pogo. Pogo comes up in sermons a lot. We have visitors here with us today, so I always want to reintroduce Pogo. Uh, Pogo, he's a really good-looking dog. He's an attractive dog. He has that going for him. And most of the time, I think he actually is pretty smart. The problem is that Pogo regularly, regularly does very stupid things. He does things I know, he knows, I don't want him to do. And he does these things knowing that he will be punished for them. I'll give you a couple of examples. One, Pogo, he knocks over the outside garbage can and then eats the trash, right? That's one thing Pogo does. Two, he runs away from home and just will spend two, three hours exploring the neighborhood. And then three, and this one really drives me over the edge, he barks. He barks when he knows that I do not want him to bark. And when Pogo does any of these things, you can tell that he knows, he knows that he shouldn't be doing them. You can, who has dogs? Dogs people? Dog people? You can see the battle being waged in his little doggy mind. And when he does them, when he gets caught, you can tell that he regrets his actions. Or at least he regrets the consequences he knows his actions will lead to. When he comes shrinking back to the house after roaming the neighborhood for three hours, he does that dog posture where he sort of like sideways walks and, and cowers a little bit. Don't be mad at me. I know I have done wrong. I will do better next time is what his posture seems to communicate. I believe that if Pogo could speak, he would promise to change his ways. But I know that he won't. And today we are looking at a set of verses where a similar phenomenon plays out. Pharaoh, we have been in the book of Exodus, we still are, and Pogo seem to have a lot in common. Defiant behavior, experiencing judgment, and a heart that won't change are all explored in these verses. The similarities Pharaoh shares with Pogo are similarities that are actually common to all people. We do things we shouldn't, God judges, and our hearts, our hearts want to remain the same. God's judgment 
increases while our hearts are unchanged. The inevitable result of who God is and our inclination to disobedience apart from God is judgment. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. We will read through verse 32. Those verses will be projected on the screen behind me. They can also be found in the Pew Bible on page 47. We'll begin in Exodus 8, verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else, if you will not let my people go, Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked and, the, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people, not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Some of you may have noticed we skipped a few plagues to get to, to this one. Instead of preaching on each of the ten judgments or plagues that happen in Exodus, we are going to try to understand the plagues by focusing on the dynamics of this particular incident. The plagues that God deployed against Pharaoh and Egypt are acts of judgment. Pharaoh's defiance of God is what is being judged. He refuses to do what God is commanding him to do. This disobedience is intentional. Pharaoh cannot 
plead ignorance, God has repeatedly been very clear. Moses and Aaron have made the same basic request again and again to Pharaoh from God. This is the fourth plague. Pharaoh has refused to honor that request. God's expectation is that people, Pharaoh included, will do what he has made clear they need to do. Not everybody has the same level of awareness. That means not everybody has the same level of expectations from God. God expects more from Moses than he would from Pharaoh. Everyone may be different, but all people have a baseline awareness of God's expectations. Romans 1.20 says God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So unrighteous men are without excuse. Neither Pharaoh nor any person that has walked the earth before or since has a valid excuse for disregarding God completely. Our very existence points to God. The fact we have consciousness doesn't make sense apart from God. Those who want to ignore the implications of God's existence find lies that allow them to validate they, the behaviors that they know God would judge. The ignorance that some think should be a valid excuse for disobedience is willful. Sin actively suppresses the truth. Through judgment, God eviscerates the lies people have believed to validate their ungodly behavior. This is actually really interesting that in recent years, Bible commentators have noted that each of the plagues sent against Egypt by God targets different pagan gods that the Egyptians worshiped. The Nile turning to blood is an act of judgment on Happy and Isis, the god and goddess of the Nile, along with Khnum, the guardian god of the Nile. Frogs covering the land was a judgment on Heket, the goddess of birth, who was portrayed as having the head of a frog. Each plague that God sent was an act of judgment on a lie that the Egyptians worshipped. Gnats were for Set, the god of desert storms. Flies were for Uchit, who was represented by a fly. Livestock was for Hathor, a goddess with a cow head, and Apis, the bull god. Boils were for Skemet, a goddess with the power over disease. Sanu, the pestilence god, and Isis, a healing goddess. Hail was for Nut. The sky goddess, Osiris, the god of crops, and Set, the god of desert storms. 
Locusts were also for Nut and Osiris, while darkness was for Ray, the sun god, Horus, a sun god. God is going down the line with these acts of judgment, and he is eliminating the lies that underlie Pharaoh's disobedience. The false gods are personified lies. God will not allow any lie that validates disobedience of man to stand. He demolishes each and every one with judgment. There are false gods in our world as well that God judges. These false gods may not have names, but they are outright lies or partial truths that get looked to for some sort of salvation in place of God. The belief that technology can cure all is a false god. There are political false gods and cultural ones as well. When I read through this list of Egyptian gods, I marvel at their numbers. There's, there's so many of them. But when I consider the amount of things that get worshipped in our world, I realize the amount of gods in Egypt was actually not really that high. God continues to judge the lies that contribute to disobedience in our world today. A couple of years ago, I heard an economist being interviewed. And he claimed that modern economists' understanding of fiscal policy meant that there would never again be an economic depression. Whew, that's, a, that's a big claim to make. Such arrogance is rooted in an idolatry of human knowledge. At some point, God will judge that claim. An argument can be made that we are currently in the midst of one of those judgments. God has every right to judge. This is a truth many struggle with. Pharaoh did not think he should be judged by God. He didn't believe God had the right to judge him. He refused to acknowledge God's authority over him. Almost nobody that experiences God's judgment thinks that judgment is warranted. There are many reasons given for denying God's judgment. Ignorance is a common excuse, as is explaining why the thoughts and the actions that warrant judgment were called for from our perspective. It has become increasingly popular to question whether God judging is in keeping with his character. Those who make this argument make the point that the judgment of God is not loving. God should only forgive. We need to be real clear about something. God's judgment of human disobedience is just as much a part of who he is as his love and grace is. 
In the early years of the church, there was a heresy that became popular known as Manichaeism. The promoter of this heresy was a Persian guy named Manny, and Manny taught that the judgmental God presented in the Old Testament was opposed by the God of light personified by Jesus in the New Testament. The belief that God judging is somehow antithetical to his character did not end when Manichaeism passed off the pages of history. It has been reformulated again and again. Today, many people deny that a good and loving God can judge. Biblical Christianity has no place for such belief. Throughout Scripture, God brings about judgment. His judgment is never a moral shortcoming on his behalf. Jesus presents himself as the ultimate judge God appoints. John 5.22 says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. 2 Corinthians 5.10 adds, All appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. God is not capricious in his judgment. God sends Moses before Pharaoh to say, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me, or else... If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. God warns Pharaoh what will happen. If Pharaoh won't listen, then there will be consequences. Pharaoh chooses to ignore God's warning. This happens repeatedly. This is the fourth of ten plagues that unfold in these chapters of Exodus. The only thing that varies in Pharaoh's and God's interactions is what the consequence of Pharaoh's defiance will be. The if-then situation that is playing out in Exodus is specific. If Pharaoh will not let the Israelites go, then a plague will result. The cause and effect of refusing to obey God and experiencing his judgment is not as clear-cut for most people. God tells us what he expects of us throughout Scripture. When we don't obey, consequences result. Those consequences are not as specific because our disobedience is normally not tied to one particular act of rebellion against God as it is with Pharaoh. This can make it hard for us to draw a bright line between our disobedience and the consequences that result. The connections are there. Thankfully, 
there are also mediating factors. In God's mercy, he does hold back judgment. Bad things also happen in the world which are unrelated to God's judgment because the world we live in is fallen. Despite the warnings God gives about his judgment, those who experience it are often taken back, taken aback when it happens. Pharaoh is caught completely off guard by the plagues. I mean, I get it. The first time or two, yeah, okay, I get it. But he, Pharaoh, he continually calls God's bluff only to quickly learn that God is not bluffing. This is a common phenomenon. Throughout the Bible, there are examples of different people being surprised by judgment. Jesus warns everyone to not be caught off guard while also predicting that many people will be. Judgment, it's not a possibility. It's not a probability. It is an absolute necessity. We already talked earlier about how judgment is tied to God's character. It is also part of his good plan. We live in a world that is in need of restoration. Sin, which is our defiance of God's good, has infected everything. This sin must be dealt with. It cannot simply be forgotten. It is woven into the fabric of our world. Removing it involves a certain amount of destruction. Through judgment, God is bringing all things back in line with his purposes. It is a corrective measure. In these verses, God's purpose is that the people of Israel be free so that they can be the means by which God redeems the world. Pharaoh is opposed to God's plan. Judgment is a tool God uses to deal with the obstacles in the world. The more resistance there is, the more God's judgment escalates to correct the problem. Some of you may have noticed I, I set this piece of wood up here earlier. I got it from underneath my house. It's not really here. I'll show you guys that side. It's a little bit less gross. Okay. So you'll notice in this piece of wood that I, there are these different nails sticking out of it. And what these nails represent are different types of sin, different levels of sin. And I was thinking about how God's judgment is like a tool that you would use to remove the different sins. Now, the level of judgment you use, God uses, is going to depend on the size of sin and how deeply ingrained it is in our lives. And in our world, the deeper the sin, the more the judgment escalates. 
As we sit here today, this should be a cause of concern for us, not just personally in our lives, but certainly in our world. I think we all see that we, we live in a world, we live in a culture where there is deeply rooted sin. And there's a lot of reason to believe the judgment that God is exhibiting towards that sin is escalating. With Pharaoh, you see this playing out. The initial three plagues God sends, bloody water, frogs, and gnats, that's bad, right? That's not great. The second set of plagues, flies, livestock dying, and boils are worse. The third set of plagues, hail, locusts, and darkness, this is apocalyptic. How a person responds to God's judgment will determine what comes next. Pharaoh's initial response to judgment, the plague of flies, is repentance. He calls Moses and Aaron back to him. After trying to negotiate a bit, he agrees to let the people of Israel go worship the Lord. This is a significant change. Pharaoh was not in the habit of changing his mind. His change of heart is an acknowledgement that God is more powerful than he is. This is a hard thing to admit. There are times in the past where I would read Pharaoh's repeated repentance in response to the plagues, and I just thought he was being duplicitous. I believed his claims of a change approach were an act of intentional deception, just to get God to lay off. But that doesn't line up with what's happening in the verses. Pharaoh is genuine. He asks Moses to plead for him. But after the judgment is removed, he hardens his heart again. Pharaoh's responses to God's demand and the judgments that follow, they don't make sense. It's easy for us to read this story and be like, man, what are you thinking? Seriously, what are you thinking? It makes no sense to defy God in the first place. It makes even less sense to do so repeatedly when you see what is going to happen. It is easy to think Pharaoh is a fool. And that is a point that is being made. Pharaoh's sin, his hard heart has made him foolish. His actions are self-destructive and suicidal. In Pharaoh's heart, every person is supposed to see their own heart. The problem we all have is not one act of defiance. Most people don't have a problem acknowledging that they have done bad things in their lives. Most people can remember the time they kicked a sibling in the shin when they were eight years old, or that time three years ago where they lied to a boss because something was going on with a deadline. We all have examples. Most people will admit they have made mistakes. We think we are willing to do things differently the next time. We are especially willing if that means we can avoid 
the negative consequences of our bad decisions. But the problem is the human heart. Its inclination is to be defiant. In Mark 7, 20 through 23, Jesus says, that which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That describes what is happening with Pharaoh. It describes the heart situation of every person left to their own devices. Our defiant hearts put us in opposition to God. This opposition results in disobedience, which results in judgment. The situation seems hopeless. The solution to our heart situation, which inevitably leads to judgment, can only be found through God. We cannot give ourselves new hearts. Like my dog Pogo, we may temporarily change our behavior to avoid judgment. But the heart that led to the behavior doesn't change by our efforts alone. God's judgment of our defiance is unavoidable. He will not leave our world in the state of disrepair into which it has fallen. God has every right to judge. The human heart places all people in opposition to God's judgment. We need God to work in our hearts. God is aware of what is happening with all people at their core. Ezekiel 36, 26 looks forward to a time when God will change human hearts. That verse says, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Hebrews 8.10 echoes the same sentiment. We avoid God's judgment. Not by changing who we are, but through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit changing who we are. Jesus takes our judgment upon himself. The Holy Spirit softens our hard hearts. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Only through God's provision of himself to us can we avoid the judgment our defiance of God's holy purposes requires. God is the God who judges. He judges our defiance and our brokenness and our sin. But God is also the God that redeems us through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit because we have no ability on our own to avoid the judgment of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this isn't the, 
the type of sermon that I enjoy preaching as much. I think that left to our own devices, we would all mostly prefer to avoid thinking about the judgment that we have rightfully incurred by our defiance of you, our creator. But Lord, in thinking through this, in realizing how this judgment plays out and why it happens the way it does, I pray that we would see not just your judgment, but also the mercy and the grace that you have made possible for us, Lord. That you would work in our hearts and minds. And that we would do that not just as individual people, who all of us certainly need to repent, all of us certainly deserve judgment, but that we would also do that as a church. As a church, we also have been defiant, Lord. We also have deserved judgment. And we know the same thing is true for our nation and for our world. I pray that your judgments, when we experience them, would help us to run to your grace, that our hearts might be changed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.